0: And we didn't realize that all the gas stations closed at like
1: 9 o'clock. When we were driving on the ice, it like caved in and we went down. He said, I'm going to get you back for this. They both got out and were flying around.
2: Welcome to the Appleseed Studio, a place where we gather in each episode of the show to cook up great tales of all kinds for you and your family. It's an hour that uses the power of great stories to help you make sense of the world and communicate with the people who are important to you. I'm Sam Payne, your host, and today in the studio, you know, if you listen to a lot of stories, you start to pick up on themes that tie great tales together. And one of those themes, through thousands of years of storytelling, has to do with stories about fathers and sons. Think of Daedalus and Icarus, the father and son from the Greek myth who made wings of feathers and wax in an ill-fated attempt to escape imprisonment under King Minos. Think of the prodigal son from the story in the book of Luke in the Bible, the story of a reconciliation between a father and a son gone astray, and need I even 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 mentioned this epic father and son moment. No. I am your father. (laughs) Anyway, in this hour, we're thinking about fathers and we're thinking about sons. Now, I'm a father, and I'm also a son, and I know that the relationship between a father and a son can be one of the most important relationships in the world. And we'll take a look at some things in this hour that will invite you to think and talk about what that relationship looks like to you. And we think you'll have a great time with us as we do it. We're going to take a whale-watching trip
3: with Antonio Sacre, a trip full of moments like this. It's becoming one of those maybe, mistakes one of the reasons why I'm not the number one dad and my wife is telling me just breathe I'm just trying to breathe and, just... and moments like this too this is the biggest pot of dolphins we've ever seen and they're I, I can't even count them they're leaping in front and behind and they're leaping in the wake and she's giving a big lesson about dolphins and my children cannot contain themselves
2: It's a story that will remind you of all the ups and downs of family activities, and it may bring to mind something you've done together with the people who mean the most to you. We'll hear a story about a trip across the lake in a sailboat that I took with my dad once long ago, and what I learned out there. That's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. And you'll travel back in time by way of a magic comic book where Nat will get some perspective on his dad that he never thought he'd have. And you'll meet a father and and his sons, who stay close by playing Dungeons and Dragons style tabletop role playing games together. In fact, they've made one of their own, and we'll introduce you to those guys a little later on in the hour. And we'll begin with a story told by the wonderful Los Angeles storyteller Antonio Sacre. Antonio has a Cuban father and an Irish American mother, and Antonio's bilingual adventures have delighted story audiences on stage for years. He's the author of picture books like The Barking Mouse and La Noche Buena, and A Mango in the Hand, a story told in Proverbs, and for slightly older kids, the book My Name is Cool, 18 stories from a Cuban-Irish-American storyteller. Antonio is waiting with our terrific studio audience. Let's join them in the Appleseed Performance Studio.
3: I was always a good student as a kid, but I was not a big reader. But everyone in my family was. My mother, my brothers, my dad, my dad reading in both languages. My brothers both read for what they had to read in school, but they also read what they wanted to read. I didn't want to read anything. When I was in seventh grade, my brother in sixth grade was reading Stephen King. There were these horror books with these horror images, and it was scary to look at them. And then one day, I opened the book, and I read it Cover to Cover, the first book that I ever read, Cover to Cover, also gave me nightmares all night, (laughs) but it was the first time that I realized that there was reading that you could do for pleasure or for terror or for fun, and so I went to the library, and I'm old enough that there was not that many Stephen King novels, and over the course of the next six months or a year, I read every single Stephen King novel, and I was not able to find any more. I said, Mom, I've read the last Stephen King novel. She says, oh, honey, that's great. A good, you've been reading a lot. I said, no, but there's no more Stephen King novels. She says, well, honey, um, there are other books in the library. <laughs> I'm like, they're not going to be as good as Stephen King. She's probably not as good as Stephen King novels, but I, I, I guarantee you there's probably a good book there. I'm like, Mom, what should I read? And she got a Hemingway novel, and I think it was The Sun Also Rises, and she gave it to me, and I read it. And I didn't read it like I read the Stephen King novel. But I, after I finished it, I said, Mom, this guy's pretty good. He's not as good as Stephen King, but he's okay. Has he written anything else? And he did. And I read all of Hemingway. And that led to, years later, an English degree from a college where I read uh, Herman Melville's Moby Dick. That was a difficult book to get through in college, and out of college, as I was pursuing storytelling, I also was pursuing acting, and the first professional play I ever get cast in was an adaptation of Moby Dick. It was a puppet adaptation of the show, and so I had to read it again, and then the show got extended, and I read it again, so Moby Dick has become a book that I visit at different times in my life. My wife is an English teacher in high school. She's an AP English teacher, and she has a master's degree in English. And somehow, being an AP English teacher with a master's in English, she never got around to reading Moby Dick. And so she took down one of the copies that I had and was reading Moby Dick as my son was just getting involved in books. Dad, what's that story? That's a story, honey, that I'll have to tell you when you get older. Dad, I want to hear the story right now. And I had no idea how to turn a 700-page novel about American whaling experience from the 1800s into a story for my son. And I was trying to work it out when my wife found a little board picture book called The Cozy Classics that tells these ancient big stories in one-word pages. So this is how I told part of the Moby Dick story to my son. Boat. <laughs> There's an image of a boat with sails. Find. There's a sailor in the crow's nest looking for a whale. And whale. <laughs> all of the excitement and horror of the story I didn't share and this was all he needed to scratch that Moby Dick itch and it was totally fine and then years later I'm going along and my wife was talking to her high school students just a couple of months ago and she said who has read Moby Dick and one hand went up only one kid it's a tough book to read in high school and she said my husband loves that book he's read it many times and a week later I had a four-page handwritten note from a modern teenager wanting to discuss Moby Dick. He said, I hear you have sailed the vast seas reading about Moby Dick and I, and in flowery language, just like Melville, this brilliant high school senior wrote a four page. And I, it had been years since I'd read the book. And so I'm like, oh yeah, Moby Dick is great. It's really exciting, blah, blah, blah. And then I got a six page letter, handwritten back about how I have failed him in my pursuit. So I have reread the Moby Dick book recently And as I was reading it, uh, the the magic of Google when you think something and all of a sudden you're getting ads about that thing. (laughs) I don't know how it happened, but whale-watching expeditions were showing up on my phone. I wasn't Googling Moby Dick. I was reading it, but somehow they found it, and I saw, oh, there's one not too far from our house in Los Angeles. And so four weeks ago, we piled in the car. Now, it was only 27 miles away, which in here would probably, well, no, I've been in some rough traffic here. In Delaware, 27 miles would take you 27 minutes. In Utah, maybe it would take you an hour. In Los Angeles, it takes two and a half hours. So we gave ourselves two and a half hours to get 27 miles down to Long Beach. And on the way, my kids were doing the thing that kids do in the car, and they're fighting. And, it's, and I'm saying, well, we're going to go on a whale watch. We're going to see whales. It's going to be great. And they're just not having any of it there's no rain there's no rainbow there's nothing i keep turning up the radio we have, for better or for worse, are no screen in the car family because of being storytelling. None of the stories are working and it's just a disaster. It's a bad, bad thing. We finally get to the, the parking lot. Now we're just barely on time for the boat. The boat is going to leave. The tickets are $50 each and we're rushing and the kids don't want to put on sunscreen and they don't want to put on their hat and they don't want to put on their sunglasses and it's becoming one of those maybe mistakes, one of the reasons why I'm not the number one dad and my <laughs> wife is telling me, just breathe. I'm just trying to breathe. And just get on the boat. And we get over there and we're in line. And finally, just as they're closing the rope, we get onto the boat. And the first thing the guy says on the loudspeaker of the boat is, We can't guarantee a whale sighting, but it's going to be a fun boat ride. And both of my kids just have one of those epic meltdowns. It's just bad. And they're just clomping around and I'm just facing. And then we try to get there's no seats on the boat. All the seats, there's these beautiful, loungy, awesome seats like these couches back here. And they were just, and we had to stand at the rail in front of the boat. And the second the boat started moving, my kids started smiling. They started seeing the birds on the water. They saw little tiny fish. They saw the big boats, the Queen Mary, I think that's the boat that's there. And then the cranes and the, the port. And we're on the water before the breaks just moving slowly, my kid's happy, it's all worth it. Then we hit the brakes and the waves start moving and both of my kids, because we didn't have a seat and we were late, are in the very front, the bow of that boat moving with the waves. And for 30 minutes, we had those 30 magical moments as a family, discovering the ocean for the first time, watching it. And the woman is trying to figure out what's going on and may not be whales, but it's beautiful and it's all good. And then she says, we heard that there's a whale somewhere, and they go, but there's no whale. And now I turn to my children, and I say, you know what? Maybe we're not going to see a whale today. When all of a sudden, the woman says, 12 o'clock. And way in the distance, miles away, there's a little tiny, tiny mist on the ocean. And my son goes, "Ah!" and I try to explain to the whole thing about Moby Dick but nobody's having it they're all laughing and now all the kids are yelling there she blows and the captain she throttles it and we're going out to where that space is and then shuts off the engines and we're just there a long beach four miles off the shore still seeing the shore white just calm and then and you're not going to believe it but there are pictures of it and there's a video I have a video of it A massive whale comes out and shoots a spout into the air so much that you can smell it. And it starts to curve, and the woman gets super excited. It's a finback whale, the second largest whale in the ocean. It keeps curving and curving, and comes a dorsal fin, and the flukes, and it smashes. It makes a fluke print on the ocean, and the whale is gone. And the crowd is screaming and laughing and yelling, and my son can't believe it. And then the whale is gone, and my son looks up at me, and my daughter looks up at me. And all of us are sharing these moments. And I captured that moment on my phone. I had it there somehow. And then it was gone. And she said, let's go back to shore. We turned the boat around. And as we're going, she said, you saw the finback whale. And she gave us a big lesson about the finback whale. When out of nowhere, dolphins come leaping. There's a, she said, oh my goodness, this is the biggest pod of dolphins we've ever seen. And they're, I, I can't even count them. They're leaping in front and behind, and they're leaping in the wake. And she's giving a big lesson about dolphins. And my children cannot contain themselves. The adults cannot contain themselves. I've never seen anything like this. We're on the edge looking down. I feel like I can reach over and touch these dolphins. They're swimming under. They're playing with the boats. And my son remembers the chapter about dolphins playing from Moby Dick. And so we're talking about this literature and the ocean. And those dolphins finally speed away. And they're gone. And we're going back into the shore. And my son just collapses into my arms. And we're looking out over the horizon, Catalina in the distance. And he looks up at me and says, Dad, that was amazing. I said, I know it was. He said, Dad. You're the second best dad in the world. <laughs>
4: well,
3: that's pretty good, son. That's, that's great. Thank you. If you want to be the first best dad in the world, when we get on shore, you'll take me to Target and buy me some Pokemon cards. <laughs> and I looked out at it where the pod disappeared and Catalina in the distance, and I said, you know, son, I'm okay being the second best dad <laughs> in the world And that is the story, the second best dad in the world. (laughs)
2: Antonio Sacre with a whale of a tale about a favorite book, a family activity, uh, family activity that one moment looked like it would work out great, and then in the next moment looked like it wouldn't work out great, and then it worked out great. Have you ever been on that back and forth ride on a family activity? We'll talk about Antonio's tale in the Appleseed Studio Lounge with a couple of friends. Stick around. It's such a pleasure to be with you in this hour of the Appleseed. We're thinking about fathers and sons today. And a moment ago, we heard a story from Antonio Sacre about a whale-watching trip with his family, a trip that works out well enough to earn Antonio the title of second-best dad. And I'm sitting in the Appleseed studio lounge where we come to chat about the stories we hear, and I'm glad to have you with us and also to have with us Alyssa Mingorance, one of our assistant producers. Hey, Alyssa, great to have you with us.
5: Hi, Sam.
2: (laughs) And uh, we've also got Brian Tanner. Our producer, Brian, is also great to have you with me. Hello. And let's talk a little bit about this Antonio Sacre story. Alyssa, what did you love about this story?
5: You know, I recently attended a funeral for my great uncle. Mm. And at that funeral, everyone was sharing stories because he was a very big figure in our family. And it wasn't people saying just like facts about his life or, you know, just wrote you know straightforward themes everyone wanted to share a story that yeah. was meaningful to them mm. and i think that's how we remember people in our family that's how we remember our fathers that's how we remember kids you know is is through these kind of core memory stories yeah. and i i wonder if that's going to be one of these um, for Antonio's kids, you know, one of those stories that later when you think about your dad and what was my childhood like with my dad, yeah. um, it comes in the form of a story, you know, it captures it in the way that he was so pleased to have captured it on his phone. You yeah. can always capture that like in our hearts and our minds. And that's how we live on.
2: And you do also wonder what the child's version of the story will be. Mm. You know? Well, Brian Tanner, what did you love about that story from Antonio Sacre? Well, it just made me think of my own experiences with my own parents when I was a kid because Mm. I was the kind of kid who just loved to stay at home and didn't want to go anywhere. And they would (laughs) say, all right, kids, let's jump in the car and go somewhere. And I'd be like, no. (laughs) And my parents would always say you're going to have fun when you get there.
6: And that would drive me crazy because I'm like, no, I don't want to go. But you know what? They were usually right. Usually right. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a pleasure to chat
2: about that Antonio Sacre story with Brian and Alyssa. And thinking about that story brings to mind for me a memory of a tiny little sailing trip that I took with my dad many years ago when I was a little kid. It was one of those experiences that in a world in which I had always looked on my dad as in charge and in control, I realized that the world was actually a lot bigger than both of us. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal.
1: The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed.
2: I'll share with you a memory. In this memory, I'm about nine years old, and there's this guy who works with my dad, and we find out that this guy owns a sailboat. And so my dad arranges for him and for my brother and me to go sailing with this guy one afternoon after work. I mean, sailing, right? There was a sizable lake that abutted our community, but otherwise we lived in what was effectively a desert. And the idea of sailing a sailboat out onto a body of water, when it was way outside of our experience, impossibly exotic, dangerous even, though we're not at all frightened. After all, my dad will be with us. An amazing adventure this is going to be, and we're excited almost beyond power of speech. And the day comes... My mom drops my brother and me off at dad's work, and we're hopping up and down with anticipation as we climb into the car and follow the skipper out to the lake. And here's the thing. The sky, all blue and clear when we set out for the lake, is a low ceiling of gray clouds by the time we get there. No rain, just a slate gray sky. And the skipper keeps looking up with kind of a worried face and He tells us that if there's rain, we better not be out on the lake, and we're standing next to the dock where bobs our little craft, painted sky blue, a tiny thing into which we'll fit, all four of us, but only just. I mean, from where we're standing, we can peek down into the cabin, and we think maybe one guy could fit down there. It's such a little thing, that boat. And the tiny boat sits there under the enormous sky, and we're hoping and praying because... The thought of not getting to sail out on the lake is a thought we can't even bear. And after all, should there be any actual danger, we have our dad there. There's nothing from which he can't keep us safe. And there's no rain now and not even much wind, no lightning or anything, not even way off on the horizon. So the skipper decides it's okay to set sail. He straps us into life jackets and teaches us some of the parts of the little sailboat tells us about the keel and the mast and the boom and the jib and the mainsail and the tiller. And soon we're scudding across the surface of the lake and the dock is receding behind us. And it is everything. The bow cutting through the surface of the lake, the rising and falling of the boat and the sound of the wind and the sails. It is all we had ever hoped it would be. And we're out for about 10 minutes and the fabric of my dad's windbreaker begins to whip against his shirt. And the skipper is looking at the sky again. And now there are raindrops, and the smooth surface of the lake is whipping into peaks all around us. And everyone in the boat knows the score. Our sailing afternoon has come to an end. The skipper turns the little craft around, and we head for the dock, now bobbing distantly ahead of us. And now things have changed. We're holding on to cleats and handholds and each other as the peaks of the waves grow higher. The rain stings our faces as we crawl toward the dock, and it now looks not like a gentle rain in which we'll play it safe by heading in, but a surprise squall in which we're fighting for our safety. And in that squall, I look up at my dad's face, and it's not calm. He's worried. He's watching the dock, hoping, but not sure, that we'll make it back. Well, we do make it back. By the time lightning cracks across the sky, we're safely in the car, out of sight of the lake. And soon, we're safely in our beds. It's a while before I go to sleep that night. Lying there, awake, I realize that it's a different world than it had been this morning. For now, after a storm at sea, I realize a thing that we all learn, that there are troubles in the world that are bigger than my father's ability to keep me safe. The world was bigger than it had ever been, and my father, a tiny little sailor, like me. We've sailed a lot together since then. Sometimes he's helped me through the storm, and sometimes I've helped him. And I'm not talking about sailing in boats. I'm just talking about sailing through life, both of us all the time, just a little bit more awestruck than we used to be. By the journey.
1: Thanks for listening to the Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. Tiny little story right when you need it from BYU Radio.
2: Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. You know, realizing that my dad couldn't protect me from every storm or solve every problem didn't make me like him any less. I didn't need him to have already conquered every difficulty I would have to face. All I needed to know is that he had walked through some of them before I did, and that he would walk through more of them with me, even the ones that seemed bigger than we were. My dad became and has remained an important fellow traveler on the road of my life. Who are some of the fellow travelers who have become important in your life? And what are some of the things you've traveled through together? Those stories might be worth sharing with each other. After all, the stories of how we've come through difficult things can be fuel for how to get through difficult things in the future. They're worth remembering, sharing, and even writing down. In a moment, we're gonna bring you the story of Nat, who one afternoon finds himself at odds with his own dad before getting treated to some perspective on the old man that he never dreamed he'd get. It's a story of fathers and sons and comic books and just a little bit of magic coming up in just a moment on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. Super excited about what we're gonna bring you on the show right now. It's an audio drama that you're sure to love. And here talking with me about it, I've come into the Apple Seed Studio control room to chat with a couple of the people who helped us make it. Marcus Richardson and Kira Brewer. Kira, it's great to have you with me.
6: Oh yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's
2: great to be in the control room with you too, Marcus. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit about uh, what we're gonna hear.
6: Yeah, this is a story that I love because I feel like a lot of people grew up with Maybe a little bit of daddy issues and kind of, I found the key to, I mean, I've never, ever been mad at my dad, but <laughs> I, I think the key to like getting along is realizing, oh, hold on. He was in the exact place I was at some point, you know, like he, he went through this weird time as a middle schooler or a high schooler or whatever era of life you're in, so I just love kind of the dynamic of him realizing, wow, my dad was like super awkward when he was my age.
7: I just love the idea of being able to connect with your parents in a way that's more understandable for yourself or like with your family, I guess. And that's what this story really presented to me is just the idea that you don't have to travel back in time to go and meet your parents to understand them, but you can learn about their stories and it will change your life.
6: You know, uh, Kira and I are sound designers. So if we did our job right, you guys won't hear anything that we did. Like it'll just be in the background and part of the experience. But when the wibbly wobbly time portal happens, I hope that they think of us, right? Yes. Well, the time portal is in your almost immediate future. Here's
2: the comics trip on the apple scene.
8: Nat, you in your room?
1: Yeah, Dad. Just going through some old stuff I found.
8: Weren't you going to help me hang the Christmas lights over the garage?
1: Now. Can't we do it later?
8: Son, when you say you'll do something- Why don't
1: you leave them up all year?
8: Come on, son. You know I can't put them up by myself.
1: Your hand bothering you again?
8: Ever since I was a kid, it swells up like this. You know, I bet you it'll snow tonight.
1: Guess you should have been a weatherman. Hey,
8: where'd you get that box, Nat?
1: From the attic. It said Alec on it. Must be stuff from when you were a kid. Is this picture your class?
8: Yeah, yeah, Miss Seventh grade.
1: And these drawings, Dad. You did these?
8: I probably. It was a long time ago, you know. And was
1: this Spider-Man comic yours?
8: Yes, Nat, could you please- You were into just...
1: comics, but you said they were a waste of time and money.
8: Ah, at least you were listening then.
1: You're always saying that.
8: Then it must be true. Look, just put it back in the box, will you?
1: It's all wrapped in plastic. Were you a collector or it, something? Just
8: leave it alone, will you?
1: What's the big deal? Is it worth a lot of Look, money? Look!
8: It reminds me of my dad, okay? So it's special to me.
1: I wasn't gonna ruin it or anything. Nat!
8: Quit stalling and let's get those lights up. Don't make me ask you again.
1: Oh, just leave it alone. Like I'm a two year old instead of 13. I wasn't gonna rip it or anything. Uh oh, Dad. I got my grubby hands all over your spider. <laughs> Where am I? Not in my room, but in a store. Looks like a 7-Eleven? But it's not the one in town. There's a magazine rack. Time magazine with Ronald Reagan on it? Harrison Ford before he got old? Is that a gremlin? Some old comics? This is that same issue Dad had. What's happening here? No snow on the ground outside. Leaves on the trees. Some jogger in neon shorts.
0: Are you gonna buy that?
1: What's going on?
0: I wondered if you wanted that comic.
1: Where am I right now?
0: At 7-Eleven, you mean?
1: But which 7-Eleven? What town?
0: Payson? Are you lost or
1: something? My grandmother lives in Payson. Why would a 7-Eleven have old comic
0: books? Well, that one just came out. He's got the new costume.
1: What do you mean?
0: In Secret Wars, Spidey's regular red suit got shredded, so this alien machine made him a new one. It's a living black suit.
1: Oh, like Venom.
0: What's Venom?
1: He's a character that looks like that.
0: Nope, this is Spider-Man. It's the costume he wears all the time now.
1: Now? Like, when exactly? All year. What year?
0: 1984, or maybe it was late last year.
1: 1984? I'm in
0: 1984 and it's springtime? Goes by fast, huh? Is that why you're in long sleeves?
1: You look familiar. So do you,
0: you live around here?
1: Springville. Wait, you like Spider-Man? And you were about to buy this comic?
0: My dad's next door. Gave me a dollar to get whatever I want for some reason.
1: What's your name? Alec. Okay. Okay. I get it now.
0: Get what? We're not cousins. You sure? What's your name?
1: I'm Nathaniel. Nat, actually.
0: Huh. My middle name's Nathaniel. It's my dad's name. (laughs) What's so funny?
1: My middle name's Alec. That's my dad's name.
0: No kidding. So, you gonna buy it?
1: Buy what? The comic? No. I was just looking. Hey, how old are you, Alec?
0: Twelve and a half. And you?
1: Thirteen. We're practically the same age right now.
0: (laughs) Hmm. Not really. Wish I was already 13. Oh, my dad's pulling up already.
1: Where? In the pickup truck?
0: Yep. It looks like he's getting gas.
1: So that man is Grandpa?
0: Huh? No, he's my dad.
1: I've never seen him before.
0: Well, you're not from around here, right? Springville, you said?
1: You know, my dad says comic books are a waste of time and money.
0: That's too bad. One day I'll be an artist, maybe even draw my own superheroes. You're kidding. Why? Do you think that's stupid?
1: No, no, I'm just surprised. My dad says comics unrest your development.
0: What does that even mean?
1: No idea, but he says it all the time.
0: Well, no offense, but your dad is crazy.
1: (laughs) I'll tell him you said that. Uh Uh-oh. What? Those two girls? You know them?
0: I know the one in green. She goes to my school. Don't stare, they'll see us.
1: The dark-haired one?
0: That's her. Allie Pillar.
1: And you don't like her?
0: Don't point.
1: They're just getting Slurpees. They're not assassins or anything.
0: She's the coolest girl in school. We used to be friends, but...
1: You got in a fight?
0: Worse. She got pretty.
1: So you do like her. Why are they dressed like breakdancers in a movie?
0: Because they're popular. I'll be fine as long as she doesn't see me.
1: My dad says girls are nothing to be afraid of. He says they're people too.
0: Well your dad is out of his oh no. Oh no, they're coming over. <laughs> Quick, <laughs> hide the comic. We don't wanna oh, look like dad. geeks. Here, pretend you're reading this dirt bike magazine.
1: Oh, that sure would impress them. Hey Alec, what's up? Uh who's your friend?
0: I uh I don't remember. Um Nate?
1: I'm Nat. Oh, this is my cousin. She's in town visiting. Hello! Why are you in winter clothes? Somebody told me it was going to snow today. Guess I heard wrong. What are you doing here, Alec?
0: Uh, I. You
1: must be Allie Pillar, most popular girl in school, right? <laughs> really? Who told you that? That's like the world on the street. Alec, will you back me up on this? Uh, yeah, De-
0: definitely popular.
1: Huh. Well, good to hear. You two look alike. Are you cousins too? No. No. I'm Chelsea. I might move up here. Wait, Chelsea what? McKenna? I don't believe it! What? What is it? My mother! Where? Oh, I've got to get a picture of this. Allie, would you take one of me and Alec and Chelsea? I was going to take a selfie, but this is way better. Uh, Sophie? (laughs) Who's that? Where's your camera? Well, my phone's in my pocket. It's still in my room charging.
8: Hello, Allie. Alec.
1: Hey, Liam. I thought you weren't allowed in stores anymore?
8: Just the stores I get caught in.
1: We should pay for these. The clerk's giving us the evil eye. He's probably looking at Liam. Well, it was rad to meet you. Yeah, you too. Seriously, rad.
0: Uh, see you, Allie.
1: How about that Chelsea girl, huh?
0: Not my type. But how are you so cool with those pretty girls, dude?
1: Easy. I just remembered that they're like a hundred years old now.
0: What are you talking about?
1: Oh, nothing. I was actually super nervous, like all sweaty inside.
0: Oh, so it's not just me. I was afraid I was gonna throw up in front of Allie for a minute there.
1: Oh, snap out of it. She had weird hair.
0: It's called crimping, the latest thing.
1: Hey, where'd your Spider-Man go? My what? The comic book. It's gone. Hey, that kid! He took your comic.
0: Oh, Liam Pointer likes to shoplift.
1: Well, he shoplifted your comic book.
0: It's no big deal. Of
1: course it's a big deal. It's how I got here in the first place.
0: Boy, did your parents explain that to you wrong. He put it in his backpack.
1: We've got to go after it.
0: What? After Liam? He's got a 10-speed. Once he's on it. Without
1: that comic, I'll be stuck here.
0: Hey, if it means so much to you, let's go get him.
1: He's already on his bike.
0: But his legs are really short. Let's go. Hey, Liam, wait!
1: Come back! Sorry, guys. (laughs) Gotta go. Alex, where are you going? Sorry, Pop, I'll be right back. He's between those parked cars. If he gets out of the lot, we'll never catch him. Should I just tackle him? You go left and I go right. He'll have to stop or run into us. Go!
8: Get out of the way, Alec. Come on, Liam, stop. I can't
0: stop. Look out. The brakes don't work. I got you, Dad.
8: Ah! <laughs> uh, are you all right, Alec? That was
0: close. My hand, it would have gone into the spokes. Or the chain. Ah, uh, Sorry about that, man. Oh, no harm done.
1: No harm done? Make him give you your comic book back.
8: Oh, wait, it, it was yours? Oh, man, I, I apologize, Alec. I, I didn't know.
1: Whoa. How much stuff did you steal?
8: I do it all around town. It doesn't hurt anybody.
1: What? It almost hurt my da- my friend here. Dude,
8: it, it was an accident. I said I was sorry. Here. You like Spider-Man? He's my favorite.
0: Mine too. You could come over and read mine instead of stealing all the time. But give it to Nat here. He's the one that really wants it.
1: No, you do for it. You take it.
0: That's it. I'm out of here. I'll see you Monday, Alec. See you, Lamb.
1: <laughs> Get those
0: brakes <laughs> fixed! He's not so bad, just needs friends.
1: Here's a comic, man.
0: Thanks, if you're sure.
1: Shouldn't we go back to the 7-Eleven and pay for it?
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. Come on, if those girls are still there, we'll tell them what happened.
1: Make sure you tell the cousin, okay? She seemed way cool.
0: If you like her so much. Alec, what are you doing? Just a minute, Pop. Were you trying to take that kid's backpack? No, I'll explain later. Pop, this is Nathaniel, a new friend.
1: Good to meet you.
2: Funny. I'm a Nathaniel too. It's 80 degrees. Why are you wearing a sweater?
1: It's um. laundry day.
2: Alec, can we go soon? I need to tell you something. Sure, just one minute.
1: He's got the same hair as you.
0: What? He's halfway bald.
1: Hey. You better go. Spend some time with your dad. What do you mean? I'm just saying, I like to spend time with my dad when I can. Do you like him? Yeah, I like him a lot.
0: Hey, you take the comic. I'll go get another one.
1: No, no, it's, it's yours. But promise me you'll take care of it. Keep it safe.
0: Alright. Anyway, it was good to meet you. Maybe I'll see you around.
1: Not for a while. Here, give me five. Is that a thing yet? Giving five?
0: You're kind of weird, you know that?
1: Well... I got it from my father. In my room again? In my own time? Guess I'll put you back, world's smallest time machine. (laughs) And only 60 cents, cheapest too. Dad, dad, are you in the yard? Yeah, I'm right here,
8: Nat. Hey, whoa, how come you're all sweaty?
1: Just, uh, exercising. Dad, what are you doing with the ladder? Oh, just
8: finishing putting up the Christmas lights. Why?
1: By yourself? I was gonna help you.
8: Oh, it's sweet that you'd want to help, but it was pretty easy. Hey, too bad we can't leave them up all year, huh?
1: How'd you manage? What about your hand? What about it? Which one? The fingers aren't bent!
8: What do you mean? Whose fingers?
1: And is it gonna snow today?
8: I don't know. I can check the forecast. No,
1: never mind. So, Dad, why did you have that comic in plastic like that?
8: Oh, the Spider-Man one? I got it on my last weekend with my dad before he got sick. And I got it for free, too.
1: You didn't steal it, did you?
8: No, no. no. My buddy Liam stole it. Uh, But I brought it back to the store, and the clerk said I could keep it. Really? Yeah, I told my dad about it, and he took me out for ice cream after.
1: You weren't very close to Grandpa.
8: Well, that day I was. (laughs) Guess that's why I took such good care of the book. Uh, You didn't take it out, did you?
1: Just to look, not to travel through time or anything.
8: (laughs) Very funny.
1: You want to put some lights up in the trees together?
8: You and me, you mean?
1: Yeah, we could talk about Spider-Man.
8: Yeah, I'd like that. Uh, Let's go get some more strings from the garage. Well, what do you think, green or white?
1: Whoa, what's all this?
8: What's all what?
1: These paintings, where'd they come from?
8: Oh, my inspiration, you mean. Well, some were your mother. Uh, That one on top was you, first learning to walk.
1: What's that comic book in the frame there?
8: Oh, I put that up a month ago. It was the first book your Uncle Liam and I put out when we were in college. Have I really never shown that to you?
1: You drew for comics, you?
8: Sure, I loved it. Comics are magical.
1: Well, one is definitely. Here, let's do One Tree in Green and One Tree in White. <laughs>
2: Sounds good, son. The comics trip, an original audio drama. Brought to you here on the Appleseed. And I've been enjoying it, not only with you, but also with Marcus and Kira, who helped bring it to life. Marcus and Kira, fantastic work. Thank you. Great to be upstairs. Oh, it's, oh yes. Definitely. <laughs> it's such a pleasure <laughs> to have you in the Appleseed Studio Control Room. And there's a lot more coming up on the Appleseed. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you. On today's episode of The Appleseed, we're thinking about fathers and sons. And I know sometimes we can feel like we're far apart when we're in different generations, even if we're as closely related to each other as parents and children are. And sometimes it takes a little work to connect and to stay connected. And that's got me thinking about some friends of mine. And I want you to meet them too. Their story is pretty cool. And it starts right here. In fact, I'll have them help me tell it. Here they are. Mark, the dad who came into the studio. Thank you very much. And Mark's son, Brendan, who also came into the studio. Thank you, it's good to be here. And Mark's other son, Jacob.
7: Thank you, it's such a pleasure to be here.
2: And these guys are so pro at playing tabletop role-playing games, and so committed to the idea of the family benefits of the storytelling that goes on in these games, the imagination and great conversations on tap every time they set out on a role-playing adventure, that they've written a book. It's called The Hero's Tale, Fantasy Role-Playing for Families and Friends, how tabletop role-playing games can help you raise great kids. No kidding, that's the title of the book. And I've kind of got to describe these guys to you, the Hansons. Mark looks kind of like someone you might meet in a Dungeons & Dragons story. He's a big guy, he's got a beard, and he's got this laugh that you'll love to hear. This kind of, well, kind of a Dungeons Dragons-y kind of laugh. His older son, Brendan, is exactly the guy you're imagining when you imagine a guy leading a tabletop role-playing game. Just the kind of guy who, even by looking at him, you're gonna trust to get you through it safely. And Jacob Hansen, the youngest in the room, is smart and polite and funny, quick with a joke, and always with a ready smile. And we've crammed into the studio, we've made room for Jacob's wheelchair. In fact, you'll hear some of Jacob's high-tech equipment running like a motor in the background from time to time during our conversation. Mark's story, and the story that would turn into the story of his sons, begins when he was a kid,
4: in junior high. I grew up playing all kinds of strange and bizarre games when they were not cool at all.
2: Yeah, those were those were days when a lot of people were like they'd shove you in a locker for playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, they would <laughs> very,
4: very much. <laughs> so
2: Mark talks about how playing these games back then wasn't cool. It wasn't a way to get popular in junior high. But Mark doesn't care. He likes the games. He likes the friends. He likes the storytelling. And so he keeps at it. And he does it all the way through college. Of course, in college, he's playing a lot more than just Dungeons and Dragons, it turns out there are all kinds of these games.
4: Uh, we also played Traveler. Yeah. Uh, Boot Hill was a Western role playing game. Yeah. Top Secret was an espionage one. We played them all. It, and Mark kept playing those games all the way through, like I say, college,
2: but also we got married, had kids, still playing. But those games were still kind of the domain of dad. And then something
4: happened. When these two guys were about, I'm guessing, around 13 and 11, there's two years apart, they started bugging me because they wanted to play.
2: And of course, as you can imagine, Mark is in favor of all that, in favor of his sons taking that bull by the horns. But as it turns out, after a lot of years of playing Dungeons and Dragons and all these other games, Mark has come to think that Uh, there's some strategy problems with the game. And he even has some personal problems with how the game is built, how it unfolds. And so he
4: does maybe the obvious thing and he does it with his kids. So ultimately we ended up making our own rule system. Yeah.
2: Now, if you don't know anything about Dungeons & Dragons, and listen, I don't blame you if you don't, I asked Mark to tell me, kind of what's behind a role-playing game in the first place? What kind of experience is it? And he told me.
4: We've got two player types mm-hmm. in the at the table, one of whom is the game master. In our game system, we call him the narrator. Mm-hmm. Another is the actual players who are taking the roles of the characters. And I'd actually like to engage these kids for a moment. <laughs> I look around for kids. Mark's sitting in the studio with me with these two fully grown guys. Um, they're not kids, really, but they're my kids. That's
2: right. And Mark looks at Brendan, his oldest son. And Brendan, in a lot of their games, is the game master, the narrator, as those guys call him. And Brendan tells me about his job in a game.
7: The game master and narrator, their main job is to provide... The information that the players don't have.
2: And Brendan goes on to explain, for example, if the action of the game is playing out in, say, a cave, the game master, the narrator, tells them all about the cave, tells them whether the cave is big or small, or whether it's light or dark, or whether there's a fire in the middle of it, or torches on the walls, or if there's a treasure chest in the corner, or if there are critters in the cave that the characters have to fight somehow. The narrator is in charge of all of that
7: when the players decide that they want to do something
2: like light the torches or open the treasure chest or fight the critters
7: then the game master adjudicates if they need to make a roll for it or if they do what happens after that roll
2: and by roll he's talking about a roll of the dice if you're gonna fight the critters for example maybe you'll have to roll a certain number to hit one of them with an arrow or bonk him with a hammer or poke him with a sword and I'm thinking this sounds a whole lot like... The word is right on the tip of my tongue. And then Jacob, Brendan's little brother, says exactly what I'm thinking. A good
7: way to think of uh, RPGs, tabletop RPGs, is group storytelling.
2: Group storytelling. That's the game. The players decide some things about the story, the narrator decides other things about the story, and the dice determine even other things about the story. For Mark, it gets even cooler than just watching his kids tell stories to each other. He feels like being the dad gives him a unique
4: opportunity. I can even kick that up a notch. Hmm. In other words, if I don't just watch my kids play, but if I'm the narrator or I'm involved in the game, then I can set up the flow of the story in such a way that I can be teaching them life lessons without it being a Sunday school lesson. The fantasy framework of the game gives Mark, the dad,
2: and Brendan and Jacob, his sons, an opportunity to discuss in all kinds of safety and openness all sorts of real-life issues. And when the game is at its best, when it's working like they want it to work, it yields conversational fruit, things to think about long after the game is over.
4: Some of the best parts of the game, for me as the dad, have been, of course, playing the game and building the camaraderie and the teamwork and the group problem-solving and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. But the best part is a day after the game when i sit down with jacob and or with brendan and they say hey dad you know i was thinking about what happened when we were playing and blah 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 Hmm. and then then it gets really rich and you ain't gonna get that playing uno (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's kind of true, though. <laughs> and
2: with all due respect to another fantastic game, I mean, Uno, come on. Maybe they're right. Maybe in choosing to learn things together and discuss things together through the lens of this role-playing game, this storytelling game, they're tapping into some of the things that great storytelling can do and that not many other things can do. And these guys talk not only about their experiences playing as father and sons, they also talk about the community of players of which they are a part. A community of players that sits with open arms and welcomes people in and teaches them to play. Well, I'm not as good at describing that community as Jacob is. Here's Jacob.
7: So I am a senior in high school, right? So uh, I, I have all the problems that a senior in high school would deal with. And I find that I like to go to Hero's Tale Mm -hmm. simply for the social interaction and the, oh my gosh, I'm with my people, kind of (laughs) feeling. And the other part is just playing a really, really fun game whenever someone comes in wanting to play, we all want to include them. It's really, really cool to see how everyone just welcomes everyone in. Half of these players have never played before. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just really cool to to see that work and to see everyone trying to help them
2: feel like they're involved in the game and involved in the story. I hope you can sense what nice guys these are. Mark Hanson and Brendan Hanson and Jacob Hanson, father and his sons. I hope you can sense how sharp they are, how connected they are to one another, how open and welcoming they are of ideas and people around them. And maybe they'd be that way anyway, but playing these games, these tabletop role-playing games, at least one of which they've developed themselves, these storytelling games, has helped. It was a pleasure to introduce you to the Hansons and their heroic journeys together. That conversation might've made you think a bit about some of the things you do to stay connected with the people you love. It might not be tabletop role-playing games, it might be an interest in pickup trucks or making stuff out of wood or leather or watching old movies or, or watching new movies or growing a garden or taking care of a dog or a shared interest in 1980s hair bands. Whatever it is, that work of finding stuff to keep connected over, that's kind of sacred work. That's how we feel about it. And the stuff you've decided to connect over, well, that's part of your story. It's been a pleasure to share this hour with you. Join us again on the Appleseed, won't you? You can find us at byuradio.org slash Appleseed by Googling the Appleseed podcast or by downloading the BYU Radio app for ways to listen to all the great shows produced by BYU Radio. The Appleseed is pleased and proud to be part of that family of programs. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. And remember, great stories can change the world.